Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Audrey Rinlesbacher. I'm the author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom, where we are empowering moms with principles and purpose. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. We'd love to grow this podcast. So if this information is valuable, inspiring to you, please pass it on and share it out, especially on social media. We'd also love for you to review it on your podcast app and also join our Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group for the after the show discussions. Today we get to talk about gardening and the garden uh, which is inside you, which ties into a story that I want to tell you. Jenny Kennedy was born into uh, a modest family, middle-class family, and had a decently happy childhood. But by the time she was 12 years old, she was orphaned. Both her parents had passed away. And so she moved to go and live with an aunt. And that aunt was well off and was able to send her to a good school, one of the better schools in Canada. Now, she was very intelligent. Uh, Jenny loved to learn. And she was an especially gifted artist. And she really excelled in her art classes. And her teachers and school uh, administrators noticed that artistic ability so that by the time she was in her late high school years, she was offered a scholarship to go to Paris and study art. That may have been at the college level. I'm not absolutely sure exactly how old she was, but she was offered this scholarship. In the meantime, though, she had met a man named Robert Butchert, and they fell in love, and she wanted to marry him. And so she turned down the scholarship, and in 1884, they were married. Now, the Butcherts were well off, and I think Jenny's aunt was well off, so there was there was some money in the family, and they were able to go on a nice honeymoon to England. And while they were there, Robert was looking around to, he, he wanted to, to be in the cement business. I, I can't remember, I don't know if his family had been, but he was able to obtain a recipe for cement while he was in England that would be, that would allow him to be the first person to produce Portland cement in Canada, which was a much high, uh, more high quality cement. So when they came back to Canada, he set his sights on this plan and he was going to start, open his own plant and produce cement. And in Victoria, which is on the western side of Canada, there was uh, a limestone quarry and that was what he needed for his cement. So they bought some land, um, at least four or five acres, I think, and he may have owned more land in the quarry, but that was their own personal estate. And he began mining the quarry. He had quite a bit of success. The business grew and he was able to send bags of cement for the first time down to San Francisco and other places in the United States and, and into Canada. And so this became um, a, a thriving business and, and the butchers were having success with it. In the meantime, 
Jenny was starting her family and remember she was really artistic and they were out in this beautiful area and she decided she wanted to start gardening and she would express her artistic abilities in gardening. And so she started out planting flowers and shrubbery just kind of around the house learning about different plants, following this interest that she had, developing her artistic gifts and expressing them through gardening. And she became better and better at it. And as her abilities and knowledge grew, so did the garden. And it got bigger and bigger over the next few years as she was a mother and a wife and supported her husband and gardening was really her passion. Well, within a few years, the limestone ran out. And the result of that was that they had um, this huge three-acre pit in their backyard, basically. (laughs) And, you know, these tall, sheer walls of rock and this big, ugly pit with debris all in it from um, from all the tools that were used to pull out the limestone. And it was just really an eyesore. And Jenny hated it. And so her first, the first thing that she did was she decided that she was going to just try to hide it. So she planted lombberry, um, Parisian plums and white poplars to kind of grow tall back behind the house on kind of the back part of their yard to try to hide this huge eyesore. And the garden around her house was really beautiful. In fact, uh, sometimes her husband would send his workers over to move things around for her or help her with her gardening because it had just really become over that, you know, first 10 years of marriage, this passion project, and she had gotten better and better and better at it. So time goes on and she's kind of looking at this eyesore in her yard and she's become very adept. They've been there, um, I think it was five or six years before the limestone ran out. So now she's had this gardening hobby for several years and she's gotten quite good at it. And she's left with this um, huge pit in her yard. And so... She, this idea dawns on her, I'll create a sunken garden. That's what I'll do. I'll just beautify it. I'll just use all this knowledge and all these expertise and this kind of extra money that we have now to find beautiful plants and to make this into a gorgeous sunken garden. And I don't know that she thought much beyond the task at hand. I mean, maybe she had in her, in the back of her mind that maybe people would want to see this sunken garden. But we don't know for sure. We just know that this dawned on her that this would be an incredibly fun project where she could really express her talents and she could beautify her home and her her yard. And so she had massive amounts of topsoil brought in by horse-drawn cart. And she had the rubble on the floor of the pit pushed out to the outside and kind of pushed up against the sides of the pit, up against the rocks, and they were put into tall mounds. And then she used those mounds of of rubble to plant 
terraced flower beds. And she wanted to beautify the walls of this pit. And so she used a Boston's chair. She hung from a Boston's chair on the side of these cliffs of this pit. And in every small crack and crevice that she found, she hand planted ivy so that it would grow and, and cover the kind of the ugliness of all this just sheer rock that surrounded this three acre, three to four acre pit. She worked tirelessly for 12 years on her sunken garden. Once they had the rubble out of the way and she'd made some of the flower beds and she brought all the topsoil in, then it was a matter of deciding where she wanted to begin. She began with a Japanese garden. She was able to work um, with a, a, a landscaper, a, on, on, an expert on Japanese landscaping for a little time and, and get help. I don't know how many people she hired to come in and help her. And eventually there was an Italian gardens and other themed gardens. Um, it, it's, it's grown immeasurably since then. And I'm not sure how many gardens there were in the sunken garden, but it took her 12 years until she had this um, about three and a half acre plot and the, and the walls and everything where she wanted them to be. And some of the reports say that she and her husband traveled actually and, and got authentic plants from different countries and brought them to Canada. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case so that she could have the right plants and, and make these gardens, these, you know, Italian, Japanese, whatever it was, authentic with native plants. And she just, she loved this, this work and, and, and creating this garden and this massive project. And I'm sure that while she was working on it, people came to watch her put her garden together. And I'm sure she had an increasing number of visitors over time. But um, she, she kind of said after 12 years that she, she deemed it finished. But even partway through in 1915, if she was still working on the gardens, she just that year alone, it's reported that she received 18,000 visitors. Now, the fun part, too, about this whole kind of passion project and developing of her gifts and, and using them in service was that it wasn't just enough that people came to see the gardens. She always offered them a cup of tea. And she often welcomed them to see the gardens herself. And sometimes they didn't even recognize her as for who she was because she just handed them tea and they thought she was just a worker because she loved to serve the people with these gardens that she had built and to make them beautiful for people to see. And um, she and her husband named their estate Benvenuto, which in Italian is welcome. And it was this open door um, policy type situation where she had um, conceived of an idea and it had grown and grown and grown. And finally, after 12 years, she pronounced the sunken garden done. And the visitors increased and increased and increased. Um, by 1930, 
She was named Victoria's Best Citizen for her work on this sunken garden and for the tens of thousands. I mean, at that point, maybe they'd reached 100,000, I don't know, people who viz came to Victoria. I mean, she had totally increased tourism because the word was spreading and people were coming from all over the place and they stayed and they brought, you know, they brought money into the town and uh, more interest and and she just served her community in this way. I'm sure that they had to charge. I mean, they definitely charge now, but I'm sure at some point she had to start charging money to help offset the fees of keeping the garden going and and so people would appreciate the, the work that was there. But they moved there in 1904, between 1904 and 1905. And she worked on this garden, on this estate, until World War II. So, you know, almost 40 years. And when World War II hit there was a loss of manpower and it was hard to keep the gardens going and to keep them as beautiful as they once were. And in the meantime, Jenny's health was declining. And so eventually, you know, the, the daughters kind of tried to keep up with it. And then eventually when their, their health, uh, completely, um, collapsed when they, when, when they couldn't do it anymore at all. And then when they, upon their death, they, um, they gave it to their grandson and he oversaw it and brought it back to its original state and then started to beautify it. And there have been two or three different people that have, uh, uh it's still in the family, the grandson and the, the, I think a great grandson. And I think there's a great granddaughter or something that's in charge now. I can't, I can't remember the whole line of, of successors, but they've added things. They've, they've, uh, landscaped the area around it. I think they've purchased more land. They've done um, a children's garden. They've added other gardens. They um, put a stage in and do concerts. They um, they have many more walking paths and they do a fireworks show. So they've really made it this incredible experience for the people that come. It's been named a National Historic Site in Canada. They employ at least 50 full-time gardeners that oversee everything. In fact, one of the um, people that visited and wrote an article about it was saying that uh, they were talking to the head gardener and he was saying, we do not, we're experts at plucking dead flowers and leaves. They are not any yellow leaves. They are not allowed to stay. And it just stays meticulous all the time for anybody that might come and visit. And at this point, over a million people a year, a hundred years later, 110 or 15 years later from the first time Jenny kind of set foot on this property, she built a legacy that has outlived her that will continue to, to go on and be a place of beauty and interest and bless the lives of the people that visit. And when I first heard this story, I determined that I was going to go find out more. There's not a lot. I had to really comb to find articles and information on the details. I have not visited the Butchert Gardens myself, but they are in Canada, Victoria, Canada, and I've seen pictures and they're breathtaking. 
But the thing, of course, as a mom and the founder of the Mission Driven Mom, that really drove me to look more deeper, uh, deeply into this story was, of course, a mother. Focusing on her strengths, developing her talents, and serving in her community in a way that has become this uh, massive worldwide attraction. And what key, what is so key in this story is how small it began. It just began with a woman who was confident in who she was. I mean, she had the opportunity to study in art in Paris. I mean, studying art in Paris, like that's the end all, especially in the early 1900s. That's what everybody wants. But she told, she chose motherhood, but she wasn't going to suppress her talents. She wasn't going to sit on her strengths. She was going to do something about them. And so she chose gardening as her way of artistic expression. And she worked little by little as her children grew, they brought her in, she brought them in the garden with her. They did this together. It bonded their family. It beautified their home and her knowledge and interest grew and her confidence grew. And as people around her saw what she was doing and affirmed that indeed she was good at this, then it just fed and nurtured the desire to do more of it. And it's so incredible. Stories like this are just amazing because it nurtured her, it nurtured her family, and it nurtured her community. And now it's a blessing to the world. But it didn't start out that way. It started out as a small and simple thing, but it started out especially with a mindset. It started out with how Jenny saw herself and how she saw her talents. She chose family, but she didn't give up on herself. And she didn't say to herself, well, my time is past. I can't be an artist anymore. I have to push that to the background and just be a helicopter mom and only, you know, focus entirely on my children. She set an example. She paved the way. She showed her family that you can, you can express yourself while still putting motherhood first. And that you can focus on your strengths and they can be a benefit to the community. I want to read you some quotes from a couple authors that I love that kind of talk about gardening and the mind and how we see ourselves because they really play into this idea. This is James Allen. A man's mind may, may be likened to a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. But whether cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless weed seeds will fall therein and will continue to produce their kind. Just as a gardener cultivates his plot, keeping it free from weeds and growing the flowers and fruits which he requires, so may a man tend the garden of his mind weeding out all the wrong, useless, and impure thoughts, and cultivating toward perfection the flowers and fruits of right, useful, and pure thoughts. By pursuing this process, a man sooner or later discovers that he is the master gardener of his soul, the director of his life. He also reveals within himself the laws of thought 
and understands with ever-increasing accuracy how the thought forces and mind elements operate in the shaping of his character, circumstances, and destiny. Jenny Butchert didn't, bel- didn't belittle her needs, her real needs, her gifts, her strengths, her abilities. She conceived of an idea and she acted on it. And then she had a little bit bigger idea and she acted on that. And then she had a little bit bigger idea and she acted on that. And it grew and grew into this amazing blessing. But she started small with one thing that she could do that would develop her and nurture her while still nurturing her family and not neglecting her family. It reminds me of a a podcast from a few months ago called Kickstart Your Self-Discovery. And in that podcast, I talk about the important component in motherhood of focusing on our strengths. I have seen a lot of well-meaning, God-fearing, good to-the-core women who are constantly belittling themselves to themselves and in front of their own children, who say that they aren't talented, who say that they aren't good at things, who put their needs last and set a poor example for their children about what womanhood is and about what motherhood is and about how they ought to treat themselves. And so often they'll follow that example. And we want to switch that paradigm. In that podcast, I share a story uh, uh, about Rudy and the importance of not spending all of our time trying to fix our weaknesses, but rather building on our strengths. Believe me, the weaknesses will will crop up. They're not, you know, if if you're weak in something, it's going to manifest itself. But because you're focused on something that you're good at and you have confidence that you can do that thing and that it will bless you and that God approves, it will provide the necessary motivation to move through that weakness and to strengthen yourself um, so that you can do the thing that you're so motivated and excited to do. And that is exactly the example that Jenny Butchert sets for us. She did a small, simple thing because she loved to do it. And it turned into an incredible blessing. This is Earl Nightingale. I want you to read you a couple things that he says. Now, it stands to reason that a person who is thinking about a concrete and worthwhile goal is going to reach it because that's what he is thinking about. And we become what we think about. Conversely, the man who has no goal, who doesn't know where he is going and whose thoughts must therefore be thoughts of confusion and anxiety and fear and worry becomes what he thinks about. One's life becomes one of frustration, fear, anxiety, and worry. And if he thinks about nothing, he becomes nothing. So we must be visionaries in our home and we must kind of see the next. We don't have to know the big picture, but we have to have some kind of goal. We have to have something that we're working towards so that our children can see us building on our strengths and working towards something. And they have the desire to do that for themselves as well. This is a little bit more of Nightingale. All you've got to do is plant that seed in your mind, care for it, work steadily towards your goal, and it will become a reality. It not only will, there's no way that it cannot. 
you see that is a law, like the laws of Sir Isaac Newton, the laws of gravity. If you get on top of a building and jump off, you'll always go down, you'll never go up, and it is the same with all the other laws of nature. They always work. They're inflexible. So we're talking about this principle today, uh, a couple different principles of focusing on our strengths and building on them and starting where we are with one, one small step. This started with me when my children were young, like Jenny Butchert, and I felt like I, I had been, I had worked hard in high school. I had gotten really good grades. I got a good ACT score. I went to the university I wanted to go to and I spent three years there and I felt cheated. I just did not feel like my mind and soul had been nurtured, like I had thought deeply and like there was more of me uh, when I came out. I felt lost. I didn't have a good sense of self. Um, and and I, I just wanted to know things. You know, I just wanted to have a deeper understanding. I wanted to... I wanted to make sense of the world. I didn't understand. I knew I didn't understand like government and different policies and issues and and why things happen the way that they happen. And I knew that people would ask me questions and I didn't have good answers for them. And I I was going to raise these children and I, I wanted to, I wanted to understand things. I didn't really understand what I wanted exactly. I just knew I, I wanted to learn and I wanted to grow somehow and I wanted to be more than I was. And I, I prayed about this consistently, and I was led to an opportunity to read the classics and to be mentored in them, but it was going to cost money. And I really struggled with spending money on, on my own education. I mean, we were renting, you know, we had a couple little babies, we were trying to save for a home. I mean, how could I justify putting money towards these classes, especially when, I mean, I didn't finish my degree, but this wasn't going to help me finish my degree. I mean, I didn't even know if I'd be able to graduate. I just knew that they were reading really awesome stuff. And I had heard from these mentors and they were incredible. And I, I just wanted that. It just felt right. And it was going to nurture my mind and my heart and my soul, but I just couldn't justify it financially. I just really struggled with that. I see now looking back, um, that I should have had a different mindset, that I, I should have recognized better that if my children see me in a conservative way, not out of control, but if they see that I believe I'm worth spending a little bit of money and time on, if they see that I nurture myself as well as nurturing them, it'll give them emotional permission to do it for themselves. So I understand that principle now, but at the time it was hard. And so I searched and I thought and I prayed and, you know, ironically, my husband was pretty supportive. He was ready to put a little bit of money toward it, but I've kind of always been the more conservative saver and not wanting to spend. And so I finally ran across this speech and I, it might, it might've been Ezra Benson, but I'm not positive, um, but it changed everything for me because he said, the best investment a family could make is on the education of the mother. And I, it just opened everything up for me. I felt like it was an answer from God and I had emotional permission to work on my own education, to put money into something that was of value to me that was going to help me grow and be a better person because then I could pass that on to my children and I could see that what he was saying was true 
and it gave me permission and I dove in and I have never regretted it for one day. Even if I would have had to go years and years without my own home, who I am now and what it's given me and my family is well worth it. I have been able to pass on to my children things that my parents just weren't aware of and didn't know about when I was young. And I had the opportunity to define and discover those. And of course, natural law and principles and our family mission statement of the truth shall make you free. And all those things um, really changed me. And of course, 20 years later, it's blossomed into a book to uh, the Mission Driven Mom organization, to this podcast, and I'm just getting started. You know, I'm just feel like I'm getting my sunken garden finished up, and now I really want to to bring these truths to the world as much as I possibly can. And I'm on fire about that, and I have the the confidence, and my family is behind me. It's been a family experience to do it together, to learn together, to read and discuss together, to build a foundation in my home, and so. That's my challenge to you. Ponder the life of Jenny Butcher and the example that she sets for us in making a little time and making a little money for mom to build on her strengths, for mom to meet her own creative needs. And it doesn't have to interfere with your mothering and it doesn't have to make your family take a back seat. Bring them along on that uh, on that path with you. And if you aren't sure where to start, just ask yourself the question, what's something I'd really love to do or to know about? And start learning about it. Take a little art class. If you're loving these podcasts and you're excited about the MDM Academy, sign up. That's not very expensive. There are ways that you can get discounts and we'd love to have you. But whatever it might be, if it's gardening or running a marathon, take the time and set that example for your children to build a legacy of being creative, of meeting those creative needs and giving yourself and your children permission to um, to build something that will outlive you, to build something that will make you and your family and your community a little bit better place. What is it that you love? What is it that you want to create? Do more of that. Thank you so much for joining me today in this uh, podcast. If you don't have your free copy of the Mission Driven Life ebook, visit themissiondrivenmom.com to claim your copy and we'll see you next time.